Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Together with my co-host Joe Stewart, we speak with extraordinary movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. But before we dive in, we want to take a moment to acknowledge and honour the traditional owners of the unceded land where this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our deepest respects to the elders both past and present and acknowledge the emerging leaders within their community. In this episode, we're speaking to Claire Holloway, the founder of the Centre for Bright Beginnings and co-creator of the Practical Yoga Philosophy for Parenthood course, alongside Anna Davis and Nadine O'Mara of Bliss Baby Yoga. Claire is passionate about integrating yoga philosophy into our experience of life and especially parenthood. Now, as you probably know, Joe and I don't have kids ourselves, but we had so much to talk about with Claire, especially around the intersection of yoga and social justice. We talk about honouring yoga's South Asian roots and considerations of cultural appropriation, and also Claire's work to form a reconciliation action plan for Yoga Australia, as well as how we're all feeling about the voice referendum. One question we also asked Claire was about how to talk to your children about war and genocide. So we do want to give that content advisement. Although we talk about some serious topics, we found this to be a very inspiring and uplifting conversation, and we really value and appreciate the chance to dig into and discuss yogic philosophy as a path of understanding and towards living ethically in our world today. We really hope you enjoy listening. All right, Claire, so great to get the chance to speak with you today. I hope you're doing well. Perhaps you could start by just telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Sure. So I have moved around a lot in my years of life and started my life in Queensland. So a number of different places in Queensland. I was born in Brisbane on the land of the Turbal and Jagara people. And I won't bore you too much with all the, the journeyings of my younger years, but I'm the oldest of six children. So grew up in a very busy, energetic, should I say, kind of household. And in a household where both my parents were doctors and as we've grown up, my five siblings are now doctors as well. So I'm kind of the black sheep of the family in a way. Um, When I finished school, I studied chemical and metallurgical engineering at university. So a little bit removed from yoga and the work that I do now, but really important part of my journey. I guess I've always had quite a logical and questioning mind. And that's what led me down the engineering path. And that is also what then led me to travel to a number of interesting places around Australia and live. So after university, I moved to Townsville where I met my now husband and I was doing some fly and fly out work from there. And with my husband, then we moved across to Western Australia and we're doing work in the Midwest region. And after we became married, I started to, we started to obviously think about children. And I start, that's when I started to have this big realization, both through thinking about that and also having a bit of a crisis with my work as well and my health. I started to realize how much masculine energy was in my life, both with the work I did. So I was working in the mining industry one of very few females at the time. It's getting a little bit more diverse now, but very few females. And I guess always 
doing that whole heaping up kind of situation and starting to put the dots together that that was affecting my health, my well-being, and also my ability to then have children. So I started, this is when I started to explore yoga a little bit more and that became a part of my journey, which I'll get into probably later as we moved to Groot Island in the Northern Territory. So on the lands of the Warnandiliakwa people, And that was a really big eye-opening experience for me. We were there for four and a half years. It's where I had my first son, William. And so he spent his first 18 months of life living remotely there in a town of a thousand people, from which we moved to Launceston. So Launceston was where I really got into working with yoga from a business and a teaching perspective. And also while we were down there, so I think we were there three and a half years, I conceived and birthed my next child, which was my daughter, Alicia. So that's kind of been the completion of our family. And poor old Alicia and Will have now been dragged to Western Australia. So we're in Perth now. So I'm on Wajak Budja, which is the part of the Noongar Nation's land. And yeah, we're hoping we're going to stay here a little bit more permanently now. We've kind of um, past that stage of life where moving around is a little bit easier and more more exciting and ready to kind of stabilise. So yeah, hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of me, a little bit of chaos in my life and hopefully a little bit more stability now. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. And I, th- I think it's interesting. We've, we've spoken to a few people who I guess come from an engineering background and mm. that I guess that type of thinking really you know, it resonated with the the yoga teaching or yoga understanding. So, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, especially people who have a yoga style that adapts to different bodies and different mm. situations. It's that like problem solving engineering brain, or not even seeing something as a problem, but seeing it as a puzzle to unpack. <laughs> yes, that's so true. I, you know what? I've never actually thought about it like that, but I do problem solve. And it can be an, a wonderful thing. I couldn't really say it. It is really helpful to just understand. I think when you are used to problem solving, uh, that it, you don't get as stressed about. It's a calm approach because you know it's like a step by step thing. But at the same time, I think there's also that tendency to over problem solve and fix. Because <laughs> you know, engineering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So that's where I definitely find myself in my teaching sometimes is having to bring myself back from over problem solving as well so that's more a personal practice for me yeah that's when you end up with those prop setups that's like three bolsters and four blocks and two <laughs> straps and a chair oh, yes. and it's very stable as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear love it <laughs> and so let's dig a bit deeper into your yoga journey i think you briefly discovered like where you discovered yoga would you like to take us on a yoga tour now that we've done your your life tour <laughs> sure sure so yeah so it was that obviously turning point stage of life i feel like i had a quarter life crisis around that 25 to 30 age and part of where i did come to yoga and first kind of heard about yoga and experienced it was as is many people I feel in the West was through exercise and I did a lot of running and endurance exercise and I found yoga a great way to balance that out. And I will be honest, when I first started practicing yoga, it was from a very physical perspective. Then when I started to throw in those elements of work stress and fertility challenges and things like that, that's when I started to delve deeper and I started to really realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more to yoga than surface level physical component. And I did a lot of my own, I guess, 
just study and reading and really looking into it all very much as a student and that was always my intention and always will be to be that a constant student when we moved to Groot Island and I had my son there I was looking for something in that early postpartum period to kind of keep my brain from going to mush for once better way to describe it to feel like I could still keep using that that part of me that I kind of turned off for a little while and that's where it went from more of a personal study and exploration to diving into some teacher training and so a lot of my teacher training has actually been online or remote because of where I've lived and there's there's definitely pros and cons to that I love my 300 hour training with Celia Roberts from Biomi in Queensland there. See, I think what I was drawn to that one was because of the biomedical approach. And obviously with my engineering background, that spoke to me at the time, the science side of things. And it was great to have, so through her training, there's a lot of stuff from the Krishnamacharya lineage, as well as Swami Muktabodhananda, who is from the Satchananda lineage as well. So it was really nice to have a couple of different lineages and exposures there and some really different energies and elements from the teachers so obviously that real scientific side but also then the more metaphysical side as well so that was really I found that really good and it was really foundational for me then as I moved further into my practice and started to make what I'd learned in my training a little bit more my own I started to still feel like I was missing more of this feminine energy that I wanted to call in and that I really realized that I had been imbalanced with and After having a child, it's such a big transition and I can talk about matrescence a little bit more. I'm sure it will come up. Your brain changes. You become, I don't know, the feminine part of your brain, the creative part opens up more. And so I really wanted to tap into it more and I started to recognize that more. And that's where I found Anna Davis and Bliss Baby Yoga. So I got into the pre and postnatal yoga training with her and then have since then in my own journey, uh, Anna's been a great, a wonderful mentor for me in my yoga teaching and yoga business as well. And in terms of how I then decided to get into teaching, that was because the small community of Groot Island, we were lucky when I first moved there that we did have a beautiful yoga teacher, Giselle, who was teaching, but she, she was leaving the island and everyone found out I was studying and they were like, please do teach us. So it was kind of more just for the community that I did it. And that was when I just realized how much I loved it. And I've not looked back since then. So definitely have had some existential crises with whether I should keep teaching as I've gone down the rabbit hole of considering my own contribution to and role in cultural appropriation and respecting the tradition of yoga. And that's definitely, I'm sure, for anyone teaching in Australia or in the Western countries, an ongoing journey. What's been really valuable for me with that is some work I've done with Irfan Deliri, who is a, uh, he teaches anti-racism and kind of advocacy work. And I was very privileged to do some work with him when I was on the board of Yoga Australia. And then since then, I've done, I've just been doing some study with Susanna Barkataki. She is, I can't, can't speak highly enough of her and the work she's doing. And again, I'm sure we'll go into that a bit more, but she's from the Shankaracharya lineage. And yeah, that's been, I guess, really supportive for me in how to navigate that space now as well in that diversity, inclusivity and respecting the tradition. 
And since I know that this is something that probably comes up for the majority of yoga teachers who are not from a traditional background, like a South Asian background, was there anything that kind of helped you unpack this or make peace with this or shift it from being something you were concerned about to something that you felt like you could take positive action in the direction of where you want to go? Yeah, sure. Look, I, if I'm very honest, I would say that I still have my moments questioning about what I should do, whether I should teach, all those things. But I think part of it that I've become more aware with, and even my husband and his, he's not really a yoga person, but he's a very open-minded person and even kind of bouncing ideas off him sometimes. Even he says this to me and Susanna Bartaki says this as well. And she's like, the first step is having that awareness of you know, and that acknowledgement. And we're never going to be perfect. We're human. We make mistakes. And all we can do is keep putting one step in front, one foot in front of the other, learning with every step and tweaking and changing and improving as we go. And I think the big part of it for me is the intention, always having that intention there and that willingness to, or that humbleness to listen to understand when you have made a mistake or if you have in the past to be open to change how you approach things. And then also for me, I think definitely moving forward, I'm seeking out with any further training. I do South Asian teachers and also wanting to in anything I have moving forward where it's possible to be able to elevate these people to give them a platform as well. Yeah, so that's that's probably some of some of the ways. And definitely for me, especially I've been on kind of a maternity leave period in recent times, probably had too much time to think about that. But it's been good because even though I'm starting off slow again as I am a little bit part-time at the moment, it gives me things to work towards as well. So yeah, I think and I, I think it's like if if I forget the exact words of the saying, but if not you, who? And if not now, when? So it's more about continuing to have those conversations and raise that awareness as well, even if we don't have the whole the whole thing right and perfect. Yeah, and I feel like that's yeah. actually a massive red flag if you're like, yep, ticked that box. I don't have to think about that anymore. I fixed it. So I think kind of staying in that place of asking questions and like checking in is probably yeah. a really good place to be in and even just the story of how you began teaching yoga like that was from a genuine community need of people in the little community you lived in suddenly not having anyone to lead their yoga classes like that absolutely sounds like a teaching from a place of integrity and as something that your community like really wanted versus like a a commercial cash-in or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah I think yeah it's, it's so tricky navigating that business side as a yoga teacher isn't it and yeah I definitely wouldn't say I've, I've got it sorted that's for sure and I mean as you've already touched on like I'm living on stolen land at the moment land of the Wurundjeri people and that is also something that you have been navigating in your yoga journey as well like I'm not sure if reconciliation is the right term because that implies that it was not just the white people who did wrong stuff like yeah reparations is probably more what I would be moving towards or just honoring and respect would you like to tell us a bit about your time on the board of yoga australia and working with kate peterson and the wonderful members of the yarn circle and nungawala did i get that right nungwali 
I'll thank you yeah. to prepare and submit the reconciliation action plan. Yeah, sure. So I ended up on the board of Yoga Australia. I have a little bit of a background more through my engineering in some board board management or board direction. And I rode into Yoga Australia and happened to be, I guess, the right timing when Kim McDonald was had taken the helm and when Janet was just starting. So she was the the previous CEO to the to the current. And at that time they were looking for someone who had a little bit more of that strategic logical approach, which I obviously had from my engineering background as well. And that's initially why I came onto the board. But not too long after I joined, Kim asked me if I'd like to support Kate. Kate had been already working on this idea of Yoga Australia having a wrap for I think at least a year, maybe two. And I'm sure that had been bubbling away with all the amazing work she does for a long time before that. And Kim sent me through the the wrap documents that you have to submit when you do submit a reconciliation action plan. And I sat there reading it. This is when I was in Tasmania, Rutruita, and I was just blown away. Having just recently moved from the Northern Territory, living in a highly Aboriginal populated community up there, I hadn't really heard about wraps before. And so just seeing the the thought and the questioning and the preparation that goes into a wrap and then also hearing the story that Kim McDonald shared with me as to why she was so, so strongly wanted to support Kate, which was uh, having a yoga teacher training that she was running and one of her slides saying about how yoga and that was one of the the oldest spiritual traditions and an Indigenous person in her training saying, hang on a sec, Indigenous spiritual traditions are older and that really stopping her in her tracks for her moment and going, wow, you know, there is a gap here that we are not recognising as yoga teachers in Australia. So definitely Kate and Kim, two people who really saw that and wanted to support yoga teachers who are Indigenous, who are in Australia. And yeah, so it's just been such humbling work to be almost accidentally involved in it. It's been a massive learning journey for me and I am just so deeply grateful to the Yarn Circle and Nangwali, so the Indigenous representatives from those two organisations, which do overlap a little bit. So in my time helping to prepare the wrap that the specific people I wanted to call out were Eve White, Gemstone, Eleanor Bancroft and Gemma Lloyd and Scarlett Barnett. There are also some other wonderful members of the Yarn Circle who have contributed in other ways, but those are the ones that were really working on the rap side of things. I guess the big thing to not go into extremely too much detail about the rap is the approach that these wonderful women have been having is around, you kind of touched on it before, Joe. the idea of reciprocity as opposed to reconciliation. So the idea that I guess reconciliation implies that there was a relationship previously that needs to be reconciled when the way sadly that things happened there was not. So reciprocity is, I, I just love the word because it so much more speaks to a lot of what yoga is about, a lot of that idea of unity and for there to be unity there needs to be a giving and a receiving and those two kind of energies happening and a mutual energy of both. So that's really more where their approach has come from. And it's been interesting because 
there was a little bit of pushback from Reconciliation Australia about this concept as well, because obviously their title is Reconciliation. So there's had to be a little bit of tweaking there just to, you know, tick the boxes with the formalities of it all, because obviously because there's so many wraps around Australia, there has to be some consistency within them. And definitely it was been very interesting to one of the biggest challenges was bridging the gap between deep listening to these Indigenous yoga teachers and their needs and their goals and what they would like to, how they would like it to be versus the interesting conundrum that we're doing this through a patriarchal system of a board and a incorporated organisation and a and then Reconciliation Australia itself and its structure, you know. So sometimes those two things can really clash and there's always going to be challenges there. And it was really beautiful to see that journey. And as I said, it was very humbling. There were some challenging times for all of us involved, but um, it was such an emotional day, the launch of the rap, seeing all those women come together to celebrate and acknowledge and start to move forward. Sadly, I didn't make it to the launch because I was, I'd become pregnant and I was very sick. I'd just been in hospital and so I missed meeting all these beautiful women in person but but yeah no I, I was able to watch it on the, the video so I did get to see and I could feel the emotion there from you know all the many many months and years of work that was was behind that so yeah and I mean those all the people mentioned are still doing that work now I have taken a step back while I've been having another child and dealing with that but it's definitely my intention I've had few talks with Kate Peterson in the last year or so, it's my attention to when the time is right for me to come back in and support. And in the meantime, it's a very small token, I know, but I do pledge donation of 5% of the profits of my business to Nungwali. And I guess for those who haven't heard of Nungwali, the sentiment behind that, it's an Aboriginal corporation, is to support Indigenous wellness practices. So I think it's so needed and it's so wonderful. And hearing the stories of these practitioners and how that has even just finding, say, yoga, for example, for some of them, that brought them back to their own Indigenous spirituality as well. So it's just such a beautiful initiative that Nangwali has. And we've actually been lucky enough to speak to both Kate Peterson and Eleanor Bancroft on the podcast in the past. So, <laughs> Yeah, I love those episodes, really. Oh, yeah, I was so excited when I saw that you'd interviewed them. So, yeah. <laughs> this is not a prepared question and something that just came to my mind as we were speaking to you. How are you navigating the fallout after the referendum and the no outcome? Because it sounds like you're probably in pretty close touch with people who would have had like a really direct experience. I know some of the people you've worked with have done a lot of activism and advocacy online and kind of publicly shared as well about their own struggles because that was another process where it was a bureaucracy and a patriarchal system and a colonial system. How do we work with that to make things better? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I guess first to speak to, I haven't been in touch with a lot of people in very recent times. I've just been very tied up with my family, unfortunately. And that that in itself has been hard for me. I think it's good for me to speak to this actually because it is part of the parenthood journey and part of probably what will come up as we talk more about that. But I've found it hard that all of this has been happening at a time in my life where I've had to be very just like, 
immediate family focus because of what's been going on with my young children and moving into state and all that. And so I feel like I've had to take a little bit of a backseat and a more of a watching place, sadly, for it. But at the same time, that has allowed me to more when you do take that step back, almost like you do in meditation, just to watch. And for me, I think the big thing that I've observed and that saddens me and that makes me want to help more and seek more and work more towards this in the future is the fear, fear. and Fear on both sides of the argument, very much. But, and that's what saddens me is that so much of what has happened, both with the way things were communicated in the media and also the way that people were questioning how they should vote, so much coming from a place of fear. And for me, I guess it again, it's similar to what I was saying before. It comes back to, if not us, who? And if not, where, now, when? And a step forward, there's always going to be flaws. It's never going to be perfect, but we need to take a step. But then in looking at that, there has been a step and that step has been more people are talking about it. There's more conversations, more people becoming aware, more people seeing, even if they're seeing that there is some division, it's making them ask questions about why. And although there's still a lot of negativity around that, I I what is keeping me okay with what's happened is that seeing that it is still a step forward, it's definitely not probably meaning that things are progressing as fast as people might hope. But the reality of that too is that things progressing fast is also a patriarchal thing. You know, the speed of moving, moving, going, going, let's do it is so linear. And wisdom traditions such as Indigenous culture, such as yoga are not linear. Like you think of the spiral symbol, which Yoga Australia now has, you think of the sun and the moon, the linear and the the circular, it's not going to be a linear path. And yeah, although we would wish it to be more of a linear path, I think. I was reading something recently about the spiral that the down movement of the spiral is creating the energy to move upwards again for that next phase. So perhaps this is one of those. Yeah, I think that's really valuable and important to think about. And I would just add as well, if people have got a bit of pent up, like, what do I do now? There are still treaty efforts going on. Like Victoria has an active treaty effort in process. So you can still follow that online. You can still support financially. You can still share about that. So there are still ways that we can support like justice for First Nations people and mm put that energy somewhere, like if it's, you know, burning up inside you or you're just feeling like depressed and hopeless, there are still things that we can do. 100%, 100%. And for anyone who's a yoga teacher, again, reaching out to groups like Nungwali or can be a wonderful place to get started if you have some energy that you'd like to support. Hey, it's Ran here, just popping in to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. Your continued support means the world to us and we are incredibly grateful. By joining our little Patreon club for as little as $1 US a month, you can help us cover the cost of editing and producing the podcast. Patreon members also get access to some great bonus content. Claire has generously shared the Aparagraha for Parenthood section from her training, which has some great guided practices, as well as some prompts for self-reflection. We also recorded a bonus interview question, 
What, in your opinion, is the single most important thing that parents or soon-to-be parents can take away from yogic philosophy? If Patreon isn't your thing, there are other ways you can support us. Simply sharing this episode on social media, reviewing us on platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or even reaching out to let us know your thoughts and feedback means the world to us. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Claire. So to cycle back to some of the ancient philosophies and wisdom of yoga, which has most, even though it was an oral tradition, it was mostly written down by male sages like Patanjali. Mm. How do you make this relevant to modern parents today? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I guess that's definitely part of why I've done the work I've done and will continue to do the work I do. But in terms of why it's still relevant, the way that I like to think about it is that even back in Angeli's day or any of the sages, there were these sages, these rishis, these people who were in the forest doing doing their enlightened thing. But there were still householders that they knew about in the villages and all those kind of places. And I like to believe that they wouldn't have been totally unaware of these people in their contemplations and the information they were receiving. And that's why I believe that it is relevant to everyone. And if you think about, obviously, the idea of yoga as unity, yes, there's different what, there's different paths to follow and different life, life stages to be on and different ways to move through life. But these are just such eternal concepts that they kind of transcend that, that kind of gap between someone who has plenty of time to sit and meditate and someone who's busy with their children. What the person who's busy with their children or trying to have children doesn't have, though, is the time to go and start deeply researching all this. And because obviously, say, the Yoga Sutras, as an example, so Sutra, the threads of the Yoga Sutras, there's so much information locked into those beautiful little threads that you can spend lifetimes looking into it. So what I've been wanting to do and hoping I'm helping parents to do is to be able to access that information a little bit more easily for themselves and really make it practical for today without having to deepen into the research. And in saying that, I want to deepen more into it. I wish I had time to deepen more into it. I've got so many ideas of what I'd like to do there. I would like to especially mention because I the the translation of the yoga sutras that I've used for the work I've done currently is through TKV Jessica Chart, so Krishnamataya's son, and that's through the training and lineages that I've worked with. I'm really excited to also explore the translation by Dr. Ranganathan, which I've heard about more recently through Susanna Barkataki. And my understanding, without having read it, is that is taking a little bit more of a inclusive, diverse, and non-patriarchal like approach to it. So I'm really excited to find out more about that at some point. So I guess all that to say that you've got to start somewhere and there's many different translations. And I guess what I think is important is to empower people to not be scared to just start somewhere, start with what gives you some meaning and relevant, what speaks to you, and then you can keep exploring from there. So that's what I've tried to Tried to do to help make it more practical to parents today, being a parent today myself. And also, I love that you picked the translation by one of the most famous yoga teaching engineers, Jessica Chan. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
crew. Yes, yes. I think um, what really has always drawn me to Jessica Char's teachings as well is I just love the the step by step approach of his teaching engineer. <laughs> In terms of and sorry, not just step by step, but the individualized approach. I'm very passionate about adapting yoga for the individual not teaching to a room of 50 people and presuming it's going to hit them all in the same way and be a prep from them all in the same way. So, <laughs> yeah. And that's actually something interesting as well. You're talking about you wanted to dive deeper and to learn more and really integrate this information. I've heard this phrase that to to really understand something, you have to be able to explain it to someone else in a different way from what you learn so that they understand it and that's when it's fully integrated and that just seems to fit so perfectly with that approach as well. It's like all different people, how do we share the essence of this in a way that's going to work for each individual? Yeah, thank you. That actually is really helpful for me too because, again, I get some imposter syndrome with this as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that on board. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'll credit the source, which was Joe Fee. I learned it in my yin yoga training and I've actually forgotten the Sanskrit word that is that level of integration and understanding that you can explain oh, yeah. it to someone else who doesn't get it. Not just using the words you learned it in, but using the words yeah. that work for them. Oh, I love that. I'm going to go and look up that Sanskrit word. <laughs> Sorry, I can't give you like the details. That's okay. <laughs> Like we're living in some very heartbreaking and troubling times at the moment, and especially with what's happening in Palestine. And as a parent, I'd love your perspective on how to talk to your kids about the really sad things and the really horrible things that are happening in our world, like war and genocide. How real do you be with them? And I'm feeling like it's this pull between ahimsa, like not wanting to like traumatize your kids, but satya, like not wanting to not be true to the reality of what's happening and the reality of the world that we live in. Yes. Yeah. I guess the first thing that really comes to mind with for me with that is, and this has been my experience with my children, is we well, I, I, and I'm sure lots of parents, we so much underestimate children's capacity for learning and understanding and also their wisdom. I, time and time again, I'm blown away by what my children come out with and also blown away by their purity of heart and intention. So Satya and Ahimsa 100%, but also I think Salcha in a way because they are at that stage of being so pure. And, again, that can be scary to them. You don't want to talk to them about these horrible things which don't seem pure at all. For me, the way I've approached it, I often let it be more a natural thing, especially with – so my son's a bit older. My daughter's still a bit younger for these conversations, but is to let them ask the question that gives me an understanding of kind of what level they're at with it by how they've asked the question and what exactly it's about. And rather than just give them a direct answer to give them an answer that allows them to ask more questions or explore as well, because that helps me to gauge where they're at with it and also what they're comfortable with talking about. And with the Ahimsa side of things, what I found helpful is just talking to not only how horrible some of these things are for the people who's, who are suffering, but also the people who might be 
making the poor actions or perpetuating violence, that there's something behind why they are doing it as well. That's something my son asked me is why would people do this? And it's talking about how hurt people hurt people so that it puts some, he can still understand that these people are people as well, but that it's helpful to think about what might have happened to them in their life, their learning, their upbringing would make them come to doing something like this. And I think kids can understand this to an extent, especially if you can compare it to say kid being mean at school or something like that. And you can see that. uh, So I kind of talked to him about, you know, while someone's not nice at school, maybe this something happened to them and then when people get bigger and be adults it can get a lot worse in their lives and yeah so that's one of the ways I abuse I'm definitely I'm no parent it's for sure but I I think that brings in some of that that ahimsa of you know acknowledging everyone as a you know as a good person at their core but things have happened to them to take them towards these actions but also to then keeping some truth in it that, you know, these bad things have happened. Again, I also do think it has to be, and this is part of that parental role of really listening and understanding your own child is even at the same age level, different children will be at different stages on what they could handle with that kind of information. So it's tricky to answer it as like a a one-step approach because, you know, my son gets really bad nightmares someone's child might not you know there's so there's so many factors yeah and I guess like with this particular conflict as well like there would be families who have like direct family history of the holocaust and like seeing that like Mm. anti-semitism is on the rise as well as islamophobia like this one is just so heartbreaking on so many levels Mm. that you know it's a really tricky one to navigate as an adult talking to an adult so kind of talking to like a little kiddo who's really sensitive like yeah definitely yeah. really challenging yeah I think what is helpful is I feel like uh, as the awareness of diversity is improving in the school system I definitely notice my son coming home and he's having a better understanding of different cultures and respecting different cultures and people's backgrounds so that is helpful in that conversation as well for sure and um there's a, a famous Ram Das quote if you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family. But as a parent, you're probably spending every week with your family or maybe concentrated chunks if you're a separated parent. Have you noticed this question in action? Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think this is probably, yeah. I mean, you've probably heard people say that your family or your children in particular can be like wonderful little mirrors. And it's definitely part of the um the process of matrescence as well. Where can I just can I maybe speak to matrescence because yeah, it just yeah, got me yeah, yeah. To, yeah I, I I'm aware that because of the space I work in, more people are aware of that term versus the general populace. So matrescence, orally Atan, back in the 1970s, I believe she was a, a researcher, and I started to notice this correlation of this this big shift that the time she was focused on women go through as they go from essentially maiden to mother, so moving through that journey of pregnancy and then becoming a mother. So the direct kind of simple translation of matrescence is mother becoming. In my teaching, what I like to do to make this more inclusive is expand that definition of matrescence without changing the word because it's a beautiful, beautiful idea and a really important transition to acknowledge. 
but it is just as applicable to the birthing parent who doesn't identify as a mother or a woman or any of those particular words. But it also happens in different ways, definitely, and perhaps not as quite intensely, but to support person or partner in that situation as well. So and also I believe it doesn't happen from the moment you become that mother, that parent, that supporter of a child. It's from the moment that you make that decision that that's what you want to do and are going to do. So from that conception journey onwards because there is already a transformation and a change that starts to occur. And how this relates to what we're talking about now is that this time spent with your family, this very intense time spent with your family is part of that transformation. And it's hard. <laughs> transformation is hard. And so many people I speak to, so many people I know say that parenthood is both the hardest thing they have done, but also the most rewarding. And I think the reason for that is because of the transformation. And obviously, like yoga is all about transformation as well. So the <laughs> yoga in action is part of it, really. And something I love that Anna Davis, my mentor, says in a lot of her writings and her work is that although other elements of your yoga practice might drop off during this time, the process is your yoga. You are living your yoga so deeply at this time. Whether that's through, as you said, like the, the time with your family, that can be both with your immediate, the children you have had, your partner who's there, but it also changes, I believe, how you relate to your extended family as well. It can bring up a lot, and this has been my personal journey as well, it can bring up a lot of your childhood stuff that you didn't realize you needed to deal with, how you were parented, how your parents were parented, so much. So it's it's pretty big, yeah. And I think that's where so much more of the tools of yoga rather than just the physical practice start to come in and it can really be a turning point for people to start to reach out for some of these other of the eight limbs at this time. That really leads right into this question because we're not parents. So we put out the question to our circle and a wonderful friend and listener gave me a really great insight and a really great question that I'll share now. So. She would like to hear discussion around how to maintain the emotional emotional balance gained through the practice of yoga when you are parenting a child. I find the balance, the benefits of yoga greatly assist to maintain equilibrium in life, physically and emotionally. However, when it comes to parenting, sometimes that all seems to fly out the window. How can the scamscaras from our own childhood be practically managed when parenting? They are so strong. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, just even hearing that, my heart goes out to her because I feel so much like um, <laughs> collegeship word on that. Yes. <laughs> I guess the first thing, Kimza again, is just having self-compassion. We're never going to be perfect as parents. You know, that's number one. And that's that's an easy one to say, I think, as well, but it's definitely something that's a work in progress for for most parents I think is having that self-compassion but in terms I guess there's a couple of facets if it's okay for me to speak to from a couple of different angles with this one so there's some techniques or some yoga practices for managing that in the moment when the the emotional balance is occurring in the moment versus preparation you've done from a yoga practice before and leading up to that, but also then what kind of it enlightens you to be able to work on 
after a particular emotional balance is, has happened, sorry, in emotional imbalance has happened. So, yeah, if I kind of speak to those three, is that okay? Yeah. So I guess in the moment, and again, this is something that would build with time, there's some beautiful, simple practices you can do with your children to to come back to unity. Again, it's coming back to unity. So when there's an emotional imbalance between two people, it's because the emotions, the imbalance part is because there's separation. So how can we come back to more unity? Very basic first step is to get on their level. So if you're standing up and they're down on the ground, go lower. <laughs> so that's something I always come back to. And sometimes you can add in a fun yoga pose to get lower as well. And that in itself can be fun <laughs> and bring some lightheartedness. A lot of the time there's there's the elements of distraction and lightheartedness that can help to kind of break out of that immediacy of the emotions. With the two, something I do with my children is often coming back to the breath to help with emotions and to help move through emotions and be with them. And it's something that kind of we've built over time and I'm sure will always be a work in progress. But two ones I love doing with my son is we can't om together, where but we put our hands on each other's heart space as we do it. So we've got that connection and we can feel each other's breath. The other one is just simply breathing with them as well. So you could use any breathing technique appropriate for their age, whether it's literally just breathe if they're holding their breath. Um, <laughs> or so, for example, with my son, we've been working on just even breast in and out for some of her So, yeah, that's that, that's kind of the immediacy kind of stuff. I mean, there's plenty of techniques, but really getting to their level. And, yeah, with the breathing, again, same as the chanting, if you share a touch as well, so put a hand on each other's chest so you can feel the breathing, it can help to regulate as well. From uh, a practice more for the for the parents in terms of that emotional balance and mm, managing the samskaras, I really love something that was more uh, fresh for me recently when I was training and studying with Susanna Bakataki is Adipaksha Bhavana. So that practice of finding the opposite emotional sentiment, that's kind of the direct translation of the exercise, to cultivate santosha. So more contentment. And it's not that we're then discounting the, the negative emotions or the samskaras that are arising within us as they are bound to do. And as I mentioned before, it's part of the parenthood journey that these things come up. But it is a an overtime kind of practice whereby then having these reframes that we can go to, especially if we're noticing a pattern of the same ones continually coming up, that it's about re-emphasizing what we want things to look like rather than discounting what it is looking like right now. Yeah, so I'd like to compare that to the same idea as if you are wanting to improve your diet. Instead of decreasing how much food you eat, you just more veggies and fruit in and slowly over time you eat more and more veggies and fruit and there's less of the junk. The same idea but with your your mind. <laughs> yeah. And the third one that I wanted to speak to is and especially like if you've had a moment of this real emotional imbalance and you just feel frazzled afterwards, I think is coming back to, and it can help with future situations of this, is coming to allowing that pause before you act. And a way that really helps me with that is coming back to kumbhaka or the pause in the breath. So doing a simple breathing practice where you're looking at the inhale and the exhale, then finding that 
lumbarca, whether it's at the top of the inhale or the bottom of the exhale. And in that physical or chronic reminder of that pause, letting that then flow through into action. So, yeah, sorry, I jumped around a bit there, but there's a few few ideas. No, that's beautiful. No, no, that was great, yeah. And I think that was really helpful as well because, as we've been saying, different things work for different people at different times. So you need a few tools in the toolbox. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so um, I noticed that you used the term birthing parent earlier on and seems very innocent, but I've actually seen some very irate newspaper articles about that particular term. And I just wanted to speak a little bit because using gender inclusive language is not super controversial in a yoga class. I think probably most people want to make everyone feel comfortable in their class. So we're moving more towards just taking out gendered terms if we don't need them in there. But in the birthing world, it seems to be a very controversial topic. And I've had a couple of friends who've done trainings with really senior figures who fought feminist battles to use terms like Mm. breastfeeding, who are vehemently opposed to adding in something like chest feeding, if that was a more appropriate per- term for the person that they're working with. And I know that you've just <laughs> written a guide to parenting and I see the language that you use on your website is very inclusive and very open and very gender affirming. I'd love your thoughts, like the space that you're working with and how you navigate this because it seems to be such a charged topic in the birthing world. Yeah, it's definitely, again, been one of those journeys that you go on. I guess I have been lucky or maybe it hasn't happened to me yet and it will, but I haven't really come up across much emotional backlash personally, but I've definitely, similar to yourself, seen it written in articles and read things about it and definitely seen very varying views on it as well. So my personal approach is to be inclusive and wanting to be. But I also respect the, the power and the, the work that's gone into and the expression of the word mother and the meaning of that word. And I've definitely sat with that deeply at times, even in the naming of my business, thinking about having the word mother in there, moving away from that, coming back to it, moving away again. It's very challenging. Even I guess to speak to anyone else who teaches in this space as well, if you think about like SEO, And your SEO isn't as great if you use gender-inclusive terms on your website when you teach. So I teach what I would say one of my classes is parents and bubs yoga, but everyone's Googling mums and bubs. So it's it's challenging. It is very challenging. I I think that the the important thing is there is that I don't don't exclusively use gender-inclusive terms. I do use mother sometimes. I do use thing words like that. If I am going to use them. I would make sure I'd say, like I might say, the yeah, if you say with the chest feeding example, you could say breastfeeding and or chest feeding. You could put both words there to keep inclusive, but to acknowledge that the importance of those words as well. So I think that's a that's a way to address that when when needing to be inclusive, but acknowledge the real feminine side of things as well. And I think it's also too in a in a more face to face environment. So when you're doing intake forms to have people in class is asking what their pronouns are. So for example, if I have a class where everyone comes, all their pronouns are she, her, and they all identify strongly as a woman, then I will more use the terms mother and woman and et cetera. But 
I guess with the, especially with the breastfeeding and chestfeeding, there's also people who are bottle feeding. And that, that is another big topic of that has swung from one end to the other because of advocacy. One of the best examples I have of that was in one of my, so the program that I've recently launched and I have a face-to-face version of it is Practical Yoga Philosophy for Parenthood. And in one of my groups that I took through this 10-week program, one of the women was having a lot of trouble with breastfeeding and was looking like she was going to have to uh, exclusively bottle feed. And that was, there was so much guilt, so much shame for her around that because there's so much out there now about how, how good breastfeeding is that it's almost swung the other way in that one too. So it, that is also a really, that in itself is a really a charged, <laughs> charged topic as well. So yeah, I think adding in more than one term can be just as helpful to not exclude anyone as choosing one term that's going to just cover everything. And I actually think that's what the LGBTQI plus advocacy groups, like that is actually all they're asking for, that that person, that individual receives the language that they resonate with. I don't think anyone is even asking for everyone to use gender inclusive terms in like the situations where you're mentioning where it's all cisgendered women and everyone's comfortable being referred to as a mother. So Mm. I feel like that's actually one of the aspects of the controversy that like people use to fan flames that don't really exist. It's like, no, no, you don't have to call it chest feeding if that's not what you're into or that's not what feels like your own truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So would you like to tell us a little bit more about that process like of collaborating with Bliss Baby Yoga and the founder, Anna Davis, for your philosophy, sorry, practical yoga philosophy for parenthood? So do you want to kind of take us through like how all of that came together? Sure. So the background behind the program was actually even before I became a yoga teacher and I had been through my own yoga practice and I kind of discovered some of these other elements of yoga. And at the time, so I was trying having a bit of trouble conceiving with my first child and I was doing a bit of journaling and I started to, to notice some crossover between what I was journaling about and some of the yama and niyama. Then I came back to that after my yoga training and obviously going into the yama and niyama a bit more. And it just became this natural process as my as I navigated my own parenthood journey that I would come back to these and journal about them and flesh it out. And I ended up with so much written down and so many thoughts about it that I was like, hang on a second, like I can just, you know, as you do with a lot of things when you teach yoga is I should share this with my students. And because each, there's so much for each of them, I started to feel like it was too much to be able to bring into just a, my yoga class. If you hadn't all noticed already from me talking, I I have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of things I want to share. So I was like, how else can I share this in a in a broader form? And so I started to create, I guess, a guidebook, which was the the Yama and Niyama for both. Uh, I have three kind of sections. One is for conception, one is for pregnancy, and one is for parenthood, as in once your physical child is there. Um. <laughs> And so naturally, when I was having a mentor session with Anna, I told her I was doing that and I sent her a copy and she was like, oh, um, <laughs> oh, and I said that I had started to do this as a, like a, a group program I was running. And she was like, oh my gosh, wow, I'd love to collaborate with this on you. This could be a great online program. And 
I hadn't done anything in the online program world before. So I was quite surprised and shocked at first. But um, the more I thought about it, because of the way it's kind of broken up and set up, it is quite conducive to the online format as well. I would definitely say in the online versus face-to-face, you get a different vibe and outcome from it. Because in the face-to-face, it's more like the way I run the the sessions, it's more kind of like a sharing circle set up. So you have all your yoga mats in a circle and there's a there uh, we do some yoga practices as well, but there's a lot of listening and sharing that's occurring during the the session versus online one is more an individual exploration. Of course, people are welcome to then link up and do it together. But it's been great then to be able to offer those two facets for the people who want that that group connection and relationship building versus someone who is more looking for something to do in their own time and a bit more contemplative and personal practice. And it probably really serves you well that you have done so much of your own training online just for geographical reasons to be creating an online course, like having done so many of them yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. that That's true. Again, I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, it has definitely. And I, I guess one of the biggest value I've found from doing online courses is that time it does allow for introspection. Definitely, for example, with my 300 hour, because it was across a year, as opposed to if you just go to an intensive training where it's just all like there's so much information and it's a different way of absorbing and processing and learning. But it does, I guess, give you the more avenue to really dive into the facets that speak to you more and take that time. So we've got one more question and we generally ask this to everyone. So I was wondering if you could distill everything that you've learned and everything that you teach down to one core essence, what do you think that one thing would be? I think I touched on this from a very different angle earlier on. And for me, it is this the cyclical and the circular aspect of our being and our living. All of the classes I teach, whether it is in the pre and postnatal space or otherwise, really come back to that idea that to move away from pure linearity and invite in more circularity or softness flow or any of those words you want to use, less rigidity. So that would definitely be the core of what I teach. Yeah, the, the circular or cyclical nature of life. Beautiful. And how nice that it was something you touched on earlier and are cycling back to at the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been great. Yeah, thanks so much, Claire. So great to talk to you. No, it was wonderful. I'm so grateful for you having me on the podcast and thank you for all the amazing work you're both doing, sharing the, the voices and the stories of teachers in Australia, New Zealand and the world. I think definitely being a listener of your podcast, it. It has that beautiful homely feel of, you know, just some other yoga teachers in Australia sharing their thing. And that's what really draws me to your podcast. And please keep doing the work you're doing because it, it's really supportive for other teachers. So thank you. Oh, that's thank wonderful you. to hear. Yeah, thank yeah, you so absolutely. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Claire. And we've included the links for her website and course in the show notes. For more content and updates, you can find me on Instagram as Ran Loves Yoga, and Joe can be found at Garden of Yoga. We love connecting with our listeners, so don't hesitate to reach out and share your thoughts. 
We'd like to express our gratitude to Go Soul for generously granting us permission to use their track Baby Robots as our theme song. Be sure to check out gosoul.bandcamp.com to discover more of their incredible music. Once again, thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. We appreciate you more than words can express. He aroha nui mawakia koto katoa, sending you big, big love. Love.